0: Pastor Chris's podcast. So it's really good to be back with you today. And again, thank you to Amy for preaching last week. If you missed that sermon, you need to go on the website, go to the podcast and listen to it. She did a great job talking about Redeemer um, because we are studying the names of God. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong fortress, the godly run to him and are safe. And so knowing the name of God gives us strength and safety. It helps us to know the character of God. And knowing him brings all kinds of benefits. It brings wisdom. It brings comfort. It brings peace that passes all understanding. When it seems like we shouldn't have any peace at all, suddenly it is there. So today we continue the series to talk about the names of God. And I want to consider the name Yahweh Shema, which means... The Lord is there. And so as we do that, I need to set up um, a scripture that I want to read that tells us this name for God and also that it is the name of a great city that we all hope to live in one day. Now, this comes from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old Testament for Israel. This was toward the end of the uh, kingdom of Israel. Because Israel had sinned and turned their back on God and they were worshipping other gods and worshipping idols And so after generations of warning them, God finally uh, said that he was going to have to punish them And he sent the Babylonians to begin to take over the kingdom of Israel They were in the middle of that. It didn't happen all at once Um, Babylonia came and they attacked And they conquered Jerusalem, and they took captives back to live in Babylonia. And they set up a puppet government to lead the people of Israel. And the government there in Israel was supposed to be loyal to Babylonia. And Babylonia said, if you turn your backs on us, then we're coming back to destroy you. So Ezekiel was one of those captives that had been taken as hostage back to Babylonia. And he had the difficult job of trying to continue to encourage the captives that were living there and to keep them turning their eyes toward God. Well, as he is living there, word comes that Babylonia has finally had enough and they've gone and they've destroyed Jerusalem and they've destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. And in the midst of that devastation, God gives a vision to Ezekiel to share with the people of Israel. And we find that vision in Ezekiel about how God is going to build a new city and a new temple. And we read that part of that in Ezekiel 48 verses 30 to 35 where it says it gives a description of the city. This, these will be the exits of the city. The, on the north wall, which is a mile and a half long, there will be three gates, each one named after a tribe of Israel. The first will be named Rumen, and the second Judah, and the third Levi. On the east wall, which is also a mile and a half long, the gates will be named for Joseph, Benjamin, and Dan. The south wall will also be a mile and a half long. will have gates named for Simeon, Issachar, and Zebulun. On the west wall, also a mile and a half long, The gates will be named for Gad and Asher and Naphtali. And so just pausing here. And so God is telling these people, even though your city has been destroyed and they're wiping out your culture and your heritage, one day I'm going to build a city and into the very walls of it and the gates of that city, your heritage is going to be built into that. So therefore, he's trying to give them hope. And then it goes on with our key verse today in verse 35 the distance around the city will be six miles, and from that day, the name of the city will be The Lord is There. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks to God. So it says, The Lord is There is the name of the city. The original Hebrew was Yahweh Shema. And we've learned that Yahweh was God's proper name, it means I am. Or I am who I am. Usually in the Bible they translate that as Lord and they use all capital letters and when you see Lord with all capital letters it's an indication that the Hebrew word there is Yahweh. Lord is a, is a decent translation if you think about it because a Lord is someone who is sovereign. You don't get to tell a Lord what to do. The Lord tells you what to do. That's the way it works. And Yahweh God is the Lord of all. He is sovereign over all. In other words, he he is who he is. He doesn't change for us. He simply is. And the second word is Shema, which means there. And it is, interestingly, this is the only time in the entire Bible that the word Shema is used. The Lord is there. And Yahweh Shema are the last two words of the last sentence of the last chapter of Ezekiel. So as he finishes trying to encourage the people who have just lost their city and their temple and their kingdom and their heritage and their loved ones, he's telling them, the Lord is going to build a new city. Don't you fret. You are suffering now because of your sin, but one day the Lord is going to build a new city And it will be named, the Lord is there. Something is coming. Something big. Do you know that the Lord is there? Some people struggle to know that the Lord is there. That he's with them. A lot of people think of God. And maybe they think of him as being like an old man in the sky. When I was a little child, I used to think of uh, God as being one of the clouds up there, and he used to look at the clouds, and see if I could see the face of God. That's a common way for people to think of him. Or maybe they might be uh, like Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers of our nation, who is a deist, thought of God as being a deity far away, who was not actively involved in the world anymore. He'd sort of wound everything up and got it all started, and then he just stepped away, And let everything do its thing. Some people think of God that way. Others might think of God as being an ethereal energy or spiritual force, a non-personal thing. But when we read the Bible repeatedly, it tells stories that reveal that God is real, that he's tangible, that he's personal. God spoke to the prophets And he uses that kind of language, like he spoke and they heard words. And we read how God was a friend to Abraham. That's a personal human type of relationship. And in Genesis, it says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden during the cool of the day. And you can, uh, on a hot August day, And maybe a rainstorm comes up and cools everything off and you can walk out in in the garden. You can think of God walking with you. And if that were not enough, God took the form of a man and came down to earth. He was born as a baby named Jesus. We read how God, I mean, we read how Jesus was dedicated in the temple. Luke tells us about a time when Jesus was 12 years old and he and his parents went on a trip and Jesus got separated from them. Another very human problem to have. If you've ever lost a child or been separated from a child or known of a friend that had that happen, you know what that's like. And Jesus experienced that. His parents experienced it. Of course, the gospel tells so many amazing stories about Jesus miracles and teachings, but it is also clear that in Jesus, God is a man with flesh and blood who gets thirsty, who is hungry, who even in the end bleeds and dies. So God is real and he is here. God is not something vague or far off or impersonal. He is there. God is there. When a baby is born, he is there in that miracle of a new life beginning. He's there with the mother as she struggles through the pain and the suffering of the labor. He's there with the father who can't do anything but watch his wife as she struggles through that pain. God is there when your kids go back to school in uncertain times. He's there with the teachers who fret and stress about how are they going to teach these children and also follow all of these regulations and all of the concerns that they have about keeping the children safe. God is there when a young couple gets together to get married and they promise to love each other for the rest of their life. But God is also there with the person who decides not to get married and chooses instead to remain single their whole life. God is with them. God is there with you when you start a new job with all the uncertainties and the, the stress and the nervousness and also the hopes and the possibilities that you have for the future. God is there when you lose a child and you feel like your heart is utterly broken and you just don't know how you can keep going. God is there when someone betrays you Or when you are the one who is the betrayer. God is even there with you, loving you in the midst of your chastisement or your punishment. You see, the Israelites had turned their back on the Lord and they were suffering the consequences. And yet God was still there. Speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, trying to encourage them, trying to tell them, I know that all that you've known and that you've loved is falling apart, but I am here. And I'm going to be with you. And one day, there's going to be a new city and a new temple. God is there with us when we celebrate and we laugh, when we cry, when we live, and when we die. Ezekiel and his people were devastated when the temple was destroyed. For them, in their time, the temple was where God lived. Not that God needs a place to live, the whole world is his home, the whole universe is his home. But sometimes people need a place that they can tangibly see so that they can come and meet with God. And the temple gave people access to God's presence. The temple, when it was destroyed, it meant that they no longer had a place to be in God's presence. But Ezekiel shared a vision for a new city called Yahweh Shema. The Lord is there. And Jesus came and started building that city in our hearts. Do you remember how Jesus once told the religious leaders... They were asking him, who are you? What gives you the right to say all these things and to teach these people? Show us a sign to prove that you are authorized to do this. And he refused to give them a sign. He said, here's your sign. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up again. The people thought he was crazy. He's a lunatic. It had taken 46 years to build the temple. How was he going to build it in three days? People thought he was crazy. But Jesus wasn't talking about a physical temple. Jesus was talking about his body, which the Bible says was crucified and buried in a tomb and rose back to life on the third day. And this is part of a new covenant that God made with people. If you repent of your sin and you turn to God as Lord, he will forgive you your sin and he will be there for you. He will be with you. In fact, his Holy Spirit will come reside in your heart. You see, you don't have to travel to Jerusalem to seek God's presence in some ancient temple. God is right here, Right now. And if you're online with us and you're sitting on your couch or your front porch, he's right there with you right now. First Peter chapter two, verses four and five says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for a great honor. And you are living stones. That God is building into his spiritual temple. When Christians gather together, as we are gathered now, we form a spiritual temple where God is present. Isn't that cool? Think about it. In the Old Testament, there were two structures that were built as the symbolic presence of God with his people. In Exodus... There was the tabernacle tent. God told them to build this tabernacle because they were wandering as nomads who were living in tents, wandering through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And so God said, I will come and I will live in a tent right alongside you. And how did they know that God's presence was there in that tabernacle? He led them. During the day, he was a pillar of cloud And by night, it was a pillar of fire, and it moved. And when the the pillar moved, it was a sign to the people, God is on the move. We need to be on the move with him. And they would go. Later, as they settled in the promised land, they built a temple in the time of Solomon. And Solomon dedicated the temple, and on the day that he dedicated, as he prayed for the Lord's presence to come, it says that there was a sound like a mighty wind, And a cloud of smoke and fire filled the temple, representing the glorious presence of God, had come to reside in his holy temple. Then we fast forward to the New Testament. In the book of Acts, in the second chapter, do you remember the story of Pentecost? We celebrate the birth of Christ's church and it says all of the disciples were gathered together in an upper room and they were praying when suddenly there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it looked as though tongues of fire were dancing above the disciples head. Does that remind you? of the fire and the smoke and the sounds of these New Testament temples. But it was not now filling a temple. It was now filling God's people because the Spirit of God resides in those who trust and believe in Christ Jesus. We are now His temple. And I'm so glad that it's not a stationary temple like it was in Solomon's time. It's much more like the tabernacle that could move from place to place. But we're a mobile army of God's soldiers going out into the world. And when the spirit of God moves, we go with him and we carry his spirit everywhere we go. When we put our faith in Jesus, Ephesians tell us the church is the body of Christ. So we are the body of Christ and his temple and the Lord is there. And yet we still long for a day when all that is wrong with our world will be made right. And that day is coming. I can guarantee you this. It is closer today than it was yesterday. For Jesus promised that he would return one day to separate the sheep from the goat and the weeds from the wheat and his faithful from the unfaithful. That day is coming. It is getting nearer every minute. And no one knows the day or the hour that it will happen. And so we have to be ready at all times. One day, God is going to come and he's going to make a new heaven And a new earth. And in that day, we will live together in the city of God on earth. And picking up from the vision that God revealed to Ezekiel, we flip to the very end of our scripture in the revelation of John, where he describes that new city named God is there. From Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. This also is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we close our time together today, we have the privilege of sharing the sacrament of Holy Communion. And it reminds us of what Jesus did for us so that we can become stones, living stones in the temple of God. And we can be the body of Christ. And Holy Communion reminds us that Jesus is no longer in the grave. He has risen. And He is with us and He opens our eyes to His presence with us as we take the bread and the wine. And this Holy Communion also reminds us of our role to be the body of Christ, redeemed by His blood, sent out into a broken world, to tell them about His love and His resurrection power until the day He returns. On the night that he gave himself up with us, Christ shared a meal with his disciples. And at that meal, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Likewise, after the meal, he took the cup and he raised it to heaven and he asked the Lord to bless it. And then he gave it to his disciples and said, take and drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many. For the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it. Do so in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Thank you Father. For being with us. For being with us in good times and bad times. When we celebrate and when we cry. And even when we are being punished. Or when we are devastated. By some loss. Of something very important to us in life. We Lord. Find comfort in your presence with us. And we thank you that you were with us on the night Jesus shared this meal with his disciples. And you are with us as we see Christ hanging on the cross. And you are with us in our sorrow as we see him buried in the tomb. And hallelujah, we also know that you are with us because he rose from the grave. Therefore, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us that are gathered here and on this gift of bread and wine, that the bread may be his body and the wine may be his blood, and pour out your Spirit upon us, that we might be the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen.